Acts 21, 1 through 16, after we had torn ourselves away from them, and them, the them here is the Ephesian elders we read about in Acts chapter 20, who had come to see Paul, and Paul gives them his farewell address. He tells them, I won't see you again. And after we had torn ourselves away from them, there is a great emotion, there is great sorrow and so on, but there is an anticipation of what is ahead. We put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes, and from there we went to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and, then, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters, all of whom were probably under the age of 16, who prophesied. And if you remember from Acts chapter 6, it was Philip that was along with one of the other seven men that were chosen along with Stephen to minister, to, to, to minister, to distribute the food, to administer the early church and so on. These were men who were known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And then we also read about Philip in Acts chapter 8 when, when he met the Ethiopian court official on the desert road, led him to Jesus um, baptized him, was transported away by the Holy Spirit, and we read in Acts chapter 8 that he ended up in Caesarea. So here, as we're picking up again on Philip, it would seem that Philip settled in Caesarea, he married, he had children, and had brought them up in the knowledge of and in a relationship with Jesus. So now, continuing to read in Acts 21, after we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Now, we read about Agabus in Acts chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, where it said that of the prophets who came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, one of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit accurately predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. That same Agabus is now here in Caesarea, and it says, Coming over to us, he, Agabus, took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we started on our way up to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Now, 
The gift of prophecy was cherished in the early church and continues to be valued in, in at least much of the church today. And as I stated when we were studying the baptism or filling of the Holy Spirit, I believe that the Lord desires to gift his children today with all that he gifted his children 2,000 years ago. Same God, same Holy Spirit. What he gifted them with then, he desires to gift us with today. And in desiring to fulfill the commands and commission of God, to manifest the presence of God in the earth today, to proclaim the word of God by the power of the Holy Spirit so that it can convict and transform, to serve people well so that they may be set free to serve the Lord themselves, to deal with evil spirits, and to persevere in the Christian race so as to finish well. We need the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives today with all of the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 39, he says, My brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That word of God that Paul wrote then is just as applicable for us today as it was for the early church. So it was not that these things stopped with the early church. He's saying desire these things. And the word that was given then, just as clearly applicable for us today. So we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including the gift of prophecy and the ministry of the prophet, are essential for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ, and the work of the ministry. Prophetic ministry then must be encouraged, welcomed, and nurtured. But before I go on, let me describe what prophecy is. To speak prophetically, is not limited to speaking of something that will happen in the future. It's not limited to that, not limited to foretelling. There is, of course, a lot of that in the Bible. To speak prophetically is not just proclaiming a, Lord, a word from the Lord. There is, of course, a lot of that in the Bible. And to speak prophetically, it's not just powerful preaching, proclaiming the word of the Lord, the word of the Lord forth-telling. There's a lot of that too in the Bible. In its simplest definition, to speak prophetically is to communicate something that the Lord has spontaneously brought to mind. And when I refer to spontaneity, I'm speaking of the way in which the communication from God is received versus the timing and the way in which it is delivered. So to the prophet or to the person receiving a word, there's a spontaneous message of God that comes. And when it is delivered may be different, or how it's delivered may be different, but there's a spontaneity to this. And then, and, and we see many instances of this when prophetic words were delivered in writing, spoken, or even acted out like Agabus does. He takes this belt and binds the hands and he's acting out a prophetic statement, a communication. And those were done much later than the, when the word was initially received. 
So communicating what the Lord has brought to mind could be along the lines of, thus says the Lord. It's a statement of divine authority. And it's these kinds of statements that became the word of the Lord in the past. But in the present, prophecy should not be treated as scripture or equivalent in authority and inspiration to scripture. It is not the same. There is no new revelation that should be added to the canon, to the 66 books of the Bible. So what is this communication of God for? Why have this communication from God? If he's given us the word of God, why, why do this? Because God's purpose in prophecy is redemptive, calling for repentance, giving supernatural guidance, bringing correction, bringing deliverance, bringing restoration, and glorifying Jesus as Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3 says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Prophecy helps us to grow closer to God when we know that he knows what we need. That he speaks specifically and precisely to that need. And that he is guiding our path. It's all about God's purpose and plan. The prophet, or the one who would communicate this message from the Lord, is not the focus. The prophet is simply the means by which that purpose and plan of God is communicated to the body of Christ. Ultimately, a communication from God, whether spontaneous or not, is for his glory, not to exalt the prophet or to fixate on the prophecy. It is to glorify God. But in this passage, Acts chapter 21, verses 1 through 16, we encounter what looks like contradicting prophecies. Because if you listen to what's stated here, verse 4 says that through the Spirit, the disciples in Tyre urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then in verse 11 it says that in Caesarea, the prophet Agabus told Paul that the Spirit said that Paul would be bound and delivered to the Romans and then because of what Agabus says, everyone there, all the people there, they say to Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. They plead with him. They cry. But when Paul would not be dissuaded because he, because he was convinced that he had heard from the Spirit and that he must go to Jerusalem, verse 14 says that the people gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So what should we conclude? Were all the people wrong and Paul was right? Or was Paul wrong and all the people right? Show of hands. Who do you think Paul was? How, do you, how many think Paul was right? Paul was right, all the people were wrong. How many think the people were right, Paul was wrong? Same people putting up their hands? No, no. And, and all of you who did not put up your hand, what did, where does that leave you? Okay, all right, okay. All right. None of you see clearly, which is why Christine said, I see everything. Oh, we're getting to that. So, all right. It is an interesting 
question, right? You look at this and you consider this and you consider the phrases that are used and you say, well, well I don't know, I'm not really sure. And, and, and I, I, for those of you who didn't put a hand up for either, either option, uh, a lot of people are not sure. And in fact, there are conflicting or contradicting points of view in the body of Christ. Commentators say that Paul made a mistake, that he shouldn't have done what he did. And there are others who say, no, no, absolutely not. Now, and as I go through, you'll see where I stand on this. But I want to make three points about prophecy that will help to get us to a practical response and application for our own lives. And the first point is this. Prophecy must be tested by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Prophecy must be tested by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21, it says, do not quench the Spirit. All the things that we're talking about, all the ways that I'm saying that we have to desire the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit just as it was in the first century, that is part of our desire to say we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We don't limit the Holy Spirit. We don't say the Holy Spirit will do this much and not that. The Holy Spirit will do this in this place but not here. The Holy Spirit will do this in this period of time but not now. We don't say that. We say, Holy Spirit, you do what you would want to do. You minister, you move, you have your way. And then right after that, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, it says, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good, reject every kind of evil. Children of God who are eager to hear from their heavenly Father must test what they hear. Because as we've talked about in previous weeks, you can have your own voice speaking. You can have the voice of the world speaking. You can have deceptive, evil spirits speaking. And you have to know, am I hearing the voice of God? Or am I hearing my own flesh? Am I hearing the world? Or am I hearing evil spirits? I need to know and discern. So children of God who are eager to hear from their heavenly father don't give up if they have a confusion or a question. They don't say, well, I don't know how to discern. Let somebody else figure it out. They continue to persevere. They continue to get used to the voice of God. They continue to exercise their ability to see and to hear and to use those spiritual senses to say, Lord God, I need to discern your voice clearly. I need to know when you are speaking. And when I discern from you, then I can know whether what is being communicated to me is truly from the Lord. Now you cannot rely solely on the reputation of a prophet to know whether their specific statement is from the Lord. In this case, Agabus had a track record. He had a past where they had known that he had given an accurate prophecy. That doesn't mean that you can just simply say, well, that's it. I know, I, it's this person speaking, therefore I'll receive it. No, you test it still. You listen to it still. And you say, is this in line with the word of God? Is this in line with what the Holy Spirit has already said? Test each prophetic statement as it is given. Test them all. Carefully study to see if the communication is consistent with the word of God. 
carefully consider what the Holy Spirit has already communicated to see if the current message is consistent with the previous one. And does it agree with what you have already heard from the Lord? God doesn't spring surprises on you. He doesn't say, go down this path, go this pace, go in this way, go with this person, and then about a month later, say, oop, just kidding, this is what I meant. He doesn't do that. So when we, when we have received a word from the Lord and we're proceeding down a path and we're going in this way, and we're taking these steps, if you hear something that seems to be contrary to that, you definitely need to pay attention to the Holy Spirit to test that word. You can't simply say, well, I was doing all of this, but now this person says I should do that, therefore, here I go. And I can tell you a lot of stories about things that have happened that way. Many of you will know many stories of that kind where people have shipwrecked their faith or have gone astray or have pursued something that really wasn't of the Lord. It was somebody saying something else, right? So, does it agree with what you've already heard? Then, Consider whether the communication is directive. Is, it asking, is, it, is the communication of the Lord asking you to do something? Or is it simply revealing something? And are you being asked to respond? Or is it simply that you be informed? Are you being informed so that you can be warned, so that you can be prepared, so that you can be vigilant? And you're not supposed to be taking any immediate action, but there may be something coming in due course. And the Lord is revealing something. Uh, I mean, and, and you know in your own lives, there may be something that the Lord has spoken to you or communicated with you or you had a sense for that this was a spontaneous communication of the Lord to you and that may have taken place 15 years ago. And you're still waiting for that. You're still waiting to see that take place. You may be waiting eight years for some word of the Lord to take place. But as you wait on the Lord and you're looking to Him, you say, Lord, is this for me to take direction, to take action on now? Or is this simply for me to be informed and to be prepared, to be ready? And if the directive, if there is a directive, if the directive of God is clear, God is saying, do this, take this action, there's a call to action, then you have to ask, has the Lord prepared me in every way has he equipped me? Has he gifted me? Has he brought us alongside those people that will stand with me to take this action? If you're not equipped, not prepared, not ready, you don't know what you're supposed to do. And you say, well, the Lord told me to do this. Mm, the Lord prepares us. The Lord, he, the Lord empowers us. The Lord takes us where he is able to sustain us. So, don't jump into something just because somebody says, oh, this is what you should do. But rather you pay attention and say, Lord, have you prepared me? Have you equipped me? Have you done this? And if so, yes, this may be the action that I have to take. If I don't see that, if I don't understand that, if I'm not sure of it, then Lord, I wait on you for the timing, for the preparation, for the readiness, so that I may move forward in these ways. And then, even as you take action, are you relying on the power of God to complete that action or are you relying on your strength to make this prophecy happen? Oh, I got a word that, you know, I will do this or this will happen and I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take that. I'm going to meet up with this person. I'm going to call this person. I'm going to... And, and you start to run what was begun in the spirit. You start to run in the flesh. 
and you get ahead, you fall behind, you go to the side, but you're no longer in step with the Spirit. And so the Word is keeping on reminding us, when you feel that even when you are on the path of obedience to God, make sure that you are staying in step with the Spirit. And so, as you rely on the power of God to take that action, you're going forward in this way, here's another question to ask. Is this prophecy, is this word, strengthening, encouraging, comforting? Does it bring the peace of God to my whole being, spirit, soul, and body? Or am I getting agitated or restless as a result of this prophecy? Am I, am I just getting nervous about what I'm hearing? Maybe there's something else going on. Maybe I need to pay attention to what the Lord is really saying or not saying. And I have to be discerning. But does it bring strength, encouragement, and comfort? Help, does it help me to move forward in the Lord? And, quite importantly, I want to say this to you. When you hear a word for yourself, for the nation, for the world, you know, whatever it may be, and I can give you again examples. As I'm saying this, many of you are thinking of examples in your mind right now. Right? Things that you have heard personally or things that you've heard just you know, so many different sources right now and especially in the past few years. So many different things going on. But I want to ask you this question. Here's the thing that you have to consider. Are you wanting, are you personally wanting to believe this word to be true and is that presumption clouding your discernment? This, these believers here in Caesarea and in Tyre and so on, they didn't want Paul to suffer and to die. And so they didn't want to hear a, a word that would say, you've got to go there and you've got to die. But that's what Paul had heard. And so when, the, when, they, when they received this word that said he's going to be bound and be, you know, suffer and then he'll, be, he'll die and all of this, they said, oh, don't go. Don't go. They wanted so much for him not to go that it clouded their discernment. Prophetic words must be tested. Prophetic words may be tested by others before they are delivered or they may be tested after they are delivered. But in all situations, those claiming to speak for God should welcome the godly testing of their word, of their prophecies. And those wanting to hear from God should similarly engage in godly testing of prophecies. This is not a judgment of the prophet. This is a testing of the word. And to say, does this align? Does this align with the word of God? Does this align with what the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and the one that you know, brings us into the truth, who is the one who instructs us, does this align? And if it doesn't, Lord... Help me. Give me the grace and the courage right, to step back from that. In the case of Paul, who was determined to go to Jerusalem, and everyone else who told him not to go, the prophetic communication through Agabus and the others was revelatory. It was showing them what was going to happen. It was not directive was not saying, because of this, Paul should do something different. And I'm not going to go into the details, but I'll be glad to address this point about why I think it's 
revelatory and not directive. I'll be glad to address this in the sermon discussion on Wednesday evening and in the next Q&A session that we have. You can bring up whatever questions you want about prophecy and about why this is and what was going on here. We'll go through all of that in great detail. This morning, all I want to say to you is that I believe, in terms of what we're seeing here and how the word is laid out, that, the, that when what was to happen in Jerusalem was revealed, it was shown, the people interpreted what God revealed based on their own emotions and desires. God showed one thing, I heard something else. Why? Because between the communication of God's word and my ears, I've got this filter. I've got my emotions. I've got my desires. I've got my expectations. I've got my past. I've got my hopes for the future. I've got all of that sitting in here. And so God speaks. David, in fact, in the Psalms, he says, one thing you've spoken, two things have I heard. And I always talk about the fact that that speaks to the complexity of God's word, but it also speaks to the fact that we tend to hear the way that we want to hear. That's why the Bible describes that in the last days there'll be those who have itching ears, itching ears that gather around them, those that will say what they want to hear. I'm not saying to you that you are all listening to me and you all have itching ears, right? I didn't see anybody lift, you know, put their hands to their ears. Oh, 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 I see one person putting their hands. No. No. But, but I want to describe to you, I want to encourage you that you be careful, that you don't listen to what the Word is saying, what the Lord is saying, and filter it through your own desires and emotions. You see... Paul points it out and he says, why are you doing this? Why are you weeping? Why are you urging me not to go? You're just breaking my heart. You know, and he says, look, don't, I, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Instead of doing what they did, they could have actually said, oh, the Lord is revealing that you're going to suffer. You're going to be bound. You're going to be imprisoned. You're going to be handed over to the Romans. You'll be put to death. All right, let's start to pray for you. Let's start to encourage you. Let's stand with you. Let's pray that when you go through that ordeal, when you go through that deep suffering, that the Lord will strengthen you. It is like the Lord Jesus when he said to the disciples, pray with me. Watch and pray. Pray with me. Oh, I know what's ahead of me. I know what's ahead of me. And, I, I, and in my flesh, I would say, oh, Lord, if this could be moved, if this could be taken away, if, this, if, I, could, if I could just not go through this, that would be great. But... Oh, I know, I know, I'm going to go through this. Pray with me. You know, and what did Peter say? Oh, Lord, none of this should happen. You know, this. And what did Jesus say in response to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. It wasn't that Satan suddenly manifested himself in, in the form of Peter. It was that Peter was speaking not according to God, but according to his emotion, according to his desire. And so here... As Paul points out, he says, look, you're just weeping and carrying on and it's breaking my heart. I mean, he's already torn himself away from the Ephesian elders. Now he comes here and there like, and now he's to tear himself away from these folks. But he is resolute. He will not be dissuaded. Why? Because as we're reading through all of these things, he knew how to test the word of the Lord. That's what he's writing about. Test it. Test it all. 
And so because of that, he's able to say, I've already heard from the Lord. I've already heard from the Lord. And let me make this point. It is very difficult to keep ourselves out of a prophetic communication. God speaks, and then it's very difficult to keep ourselves, our flesh, our emotion, our thoughts out of it. It is difficult to communicate what God wants us to communicate without adding to it or compromising the message in some way. It's very difficult. It is difficult to receive a word from God without judging it according to our own thinking. And we say, this is what the person said, I think it means this. And we are doing so based on our own thinking. Our emotions, our desires, our expectations are very, very strong. That's why the Bible uses these strong words to say, put to death, therefore, the sinful nature with its passions and desires. It doesn't say, well, you know, put it in the corner and time out, you know, just, you know, put it away for a while, you know, put it in, in some cage. It's a put to death. You know why? Because the sinful nature with its passions and desires is very, very, very strong. And we start to filter, we start to look at these things, you know, based on those things. And you look at the word of God, prophets, they got angry, they got depressed. They even ran away when they heard from God. Because of how they were personally reacting to the message. It's very difficult to keep our thoughts, our bias, our worldviews out of sharing or receiving a message from God, but we can, with the help of the Lord, say, the Lord's will be done. We can deliver a message from the Lord as he intends it for it to be delivered. We can receive a message from the Lord with submission and obedience. And once the message is delivered and received, it leads us to this next point, and I'm going very quickly through these next two points. Prophecy must be evaluated by the fruit. Once you've discerned that a prophetic message is from the Lord, you may think you're done. It's all good. But our responsibility is not just to know that there's a tree out there. Our responsibility is to wait for the fruit to be born. And when the fruit is born, to taste, test the fruit. Taste and see what that fruit is like. And then determine the nature, the quality of the prophecy. Prophecies can be conditional. In fact, I would say most prophecies are actually conditional. And prophecies can take a lot of time to come to pass, or may take a long time to come to pass. Prophetic language may be symbolic, and it requires interpretation and insight and continued, to waiting, continued waiting on the Lord to say, what does this mean? That means that prophecies that do not contradict the Bible or that are not contrary to fact should still be evaluated over time. Look at the fruit. Consider the outcome. We looked at this when we talked about finishing well, that we said when we look at people's lives, consider the end of their days, consider the outcome of their lives, and then imitate their faith. In the same way, consider the fruit that is born, and then consider what's been said. And then, final point that I want to make about this is this. Prophecy must be desired in the church. So prophecy needs to be tested, prophecy needs to be evaluated, and prophecy needs to be desired. All these things that I've been talking about, if it's not clear so far, then I, I'll say it again. We desire for
for the spiritual gifts, and for prophecy. We desire to hear from the Lord. We want to know that the Lord is speaking to us. And in addition to all those things that I just said, in 1 Corinthians, I read a few verses from 1 Corinthians already, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 to 25, it says that when an unbeliever or an inquirer, someone who's seeking, someone who's unaware of the Lord, when they come into our midst and they hear a word of prophecy, a word that is spontaneously, a word that is of revelation, a word that says, oh, you, you know, this, that, the, that shows them that God is aware of them, that God knows their condition and their situations, and that God knows exactly what's going on in their life. When they hear that, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 24 to 25, it says that they will say, they will exclaim, God is really among you. So this, when we desire this, it's not just to keep, in, keep, to keep with what the Lord has already done, the Holy Spirit coming, the blessing, the anointing, all of that, and for us to minister to one another and to encourage one another and to have a word that is apt and a word that will be powerful, and a word that, will, word that will, will transform another life, but it is also for the benefit of the person who does not currently believe. They're pre-believers. It is for the benefit of the person who's saying, I just don't know. I'm not sure. Where should I go? What should I do? And you're able to say, the Lord is showing me that this is what's relevant for your life. Right? Now, when I say all this, we want to be careful that we don't presume to speak for the Lord, regardless of all the things that we know from the past and the knowledge that we have and everything else. Right? We still have to be very mindful to say, Lord, is this a word from you? Test this. Know it. You know, don't let my emotions and my desires come in the way. You know, let me speak only what you want me to speak in the right time, in the right way, for the benefit of the hearer. Let me do that with words of grace. Let me do it with the love of God. Let me do it in such a way that the mercy of God that covers over, that triumphs over judgment will come in play in this person's life. Let me do all of this, Lord, by the leading of the Holy Spirit. We do that. We go after that like that. But when we do... Oh, the power of the Lord is manifest. Which means that as we listen to all of this, we respond and we apply by praying for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, especially prophecy. We say, Lord God, we want you to move. Yes. We want you to move. I've mentioned in the past that we, you know, we, we can put up service opportunities and we say, oh, we need all these hands. We need all these hands to do all this stuff. Right? Just to get things done, you need hands. But, you know, it's, that's, that's true in the body of Christ for all of us, regardless of what our capabilities are in the, in the flesh, in the natural. We need each other. And I need the gift that you will have, and you need the gift that I will have, and together we're able to serve and minister to one another. We're able to do something that we couldn't have done on our own. We're able to multiply the strength of what the Lord has given us, and therefore we say, Lord God, give us the gifts. Lord God, you give us your power. Lord God, you fill us with your, with your Holy Spirit. And if you can do it for this person, oh, you can do it for me. You're no respecter of persons. And if you can do it in such a way that I can run this race, I can run and persevere in this race by encouraging those that are with me. And I say, hey, you, you need help with this? I can help you with that. I need help with this. Can you help me with that? Oh, we are able to make progress. And together we accomplish what the Lord has intended for us. New Life Fellowship Church. 
We want to be a church where we say, oh Lord God, you fill each one of us. You anoint each one of us. You give us of your power and your grace and your mercy. And you do it in such a way that Lord, prophecy, speaking the very word from God, revealing the very heart of God would be nurtured in our church. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy in our lives, and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for these examples. We thank you for what we read, and some of these stories in the word of God, Lord, you, there, it's, there's no sugarcoating it. There's no hiding that there was disagreements or things that were going on and what seemed like contradictions and, Lord, statements that are made. And yet, through all of that, you teach us and you bring us to insight and to truth and to, Lord, to sound practice, to godly beliefs, to the ability to look to you and know what is true. So I pray, Father, that you, Holy Spirit, will continue to speak to us, will continue to direct us, that we who desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit and to be led by the Holy Spirit will never focus on those gifts, will never focus on prophecy, will never focus on the prophet, will never focus on all the things that are going on around us and what our ears may want to hear, but we will continue to focus on you. You alone. You alone lifted up. You alone glorified. You alone Lord, sovereign over everything. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.